Well, let's get right into the Word of God. If you guys can grab your Bibles and meet me in, uh, in Matthew. The book of Matthew is where we are. Matthew chapter 21. Y'all all right this morning, this afternoon? All right, all right. This service seems, tends to be the quiet service, so y'all know I need y'all to talk back just a little bit. Well, let me give some, some quick pastoral uh, direction and even instructions on the Spread Love campaign. You guys, if you've been here uh, for the last four weeks, you, you'll, you would have picked up that we are uh, in, a, in the middle of a campaign, but also we're in the middle of a sermon series on Spread Love. And so next week is that I don't know what you would call it, like a kickoff week, if you will. November 4th is the week that we are saying is our um, Commitment Sunday, where we are asking you guys to fill out those commitment cards, and we're asking you to figure out ways that you could sacrificially give. And one of the things we wanted to do was we wanted to provide a bunch of information for you. And so we did that through creating a brochure that took time to make sure we you know, had it right. We created a fact sheet. Uh, I spent a lot of time doing a sermon series here, and we actually got one more uh, week next week. We'll be in the Spread Love sermon series. We did a dream night. We invited all of you guys to come and ask whatever questions you wanted, uh, and I'm excited about that. So far, I'd love to put this before you as an encouragement for next week as we kick this thing off. Um, one of the things I believe in is Anytime you ask the church to, to give, it's always important to allow the leaders to lead first in giving, myself included. So I want to be there. I'll never stand before you and say, man, can you guys give to this campaign? And I'm sitting back chilling like I'm not going to give to the campaign. So what I did was um, not only did I spend time praying with my wife and figuring out what we were going to give towards the campaign, uh, but I also met with all of our leaders and I met with our leaders and I said, man, before we ask the church to commit next week, it'd be good if we could commit uh, towards the campaign. And so everybody filled out uh, these commitment cards and said that what they were going to give towards the campaign. I also met with a few uh, different individuals that weren't leaders that we wanted to try to get a head start with some of the commitments. And I'm so happy to announce to you guys that we are looking to raise $300,000 in 26 months. So doable. And again, this, is, this, isn't, this isn't just for a building. This is for impact in the neighborhood. And so uh, that's the goal. I'm so happy to announce that when I went to our leaders and a few other specific uh, people within the church, we have already committed to date. We, internally, we've already committed $137,000 towards the campaign already. That's a big deal, y'all. That is a big deal. And because God just likes to floss how dope he is, he, he also on the outside said, well, you know what, we're, we're going we're gonna to give some, we're going to find some other people that are interested in partnering in this campaign. And so we went to two different people and they then said, you know what, we're going to do a match. We're going to match dollar for dollar up to $125,000. And so every dollar you give, somebody else is giving another dollar up to $125,000. And so we are... I'm so excited about what God has already done, and I just believe that the Lord is going to uh, help us to fulfill this goal because at the end of the day, this is his church, and he's building it, and he's going to provide for it whether we give or not. Right. Like, we, we do understand that. The Lord ain't sitting there going to heaven going, oh, my God, if they don't give, I'm handicapped to what I can. No, he's going to give because that's what he does. He's going to provide, and so I'm grateful for that. Well, let's get into the word. So we can see what generosity looks like in our text. Matthew 21 is where I told you to turn. You will notice that the inscription above the text says the triumphal entry. 
So this is talking about where Jesus made his way on into Jerusalem. Look at verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the villages in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and he will send them at once. Verse 4, this took place to fulfill what was spoken uh, by the prophet saying, he's about to quote Zechariah 9.9. You should write that somewhere in your scriptures or in your notes. Zechariah 9.9 is about to be quoted. Verse 5, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foil of a beast of burden. Verse 6, the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put, them, uh, put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and the others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David, a messianic title. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, underline this phrase, the whole city was stirred up, saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. I simply want to preach from the topic this afternoon entitled the craziness of generosity. Let us look to the Lord in prayer before we dig in. Father, I simply want to pray over the room this morning or this afternoon, Psalms 119, verse 18. Father, would you open our eyes that we may behold the wondrous things out of your law. It is in Christ's name we pray. Let everybody say amen. amen. The craziness of generosity. We've been in this campaign, uh, this sermon series for the campaign for the last four weeks. Next week will be our last Sunday in it. And um, it's important that I think we go back because some of you might not have been here for every part of it. And so let's go back to the very first week leading up to where we are today. The first week we got together, we were in Exodus 35. And in Exodus 35, some of you might remember, that was Israel's first campaign to build the tabernacle. And in this campaign to build the tabernacle, Moses goes to the people of God. He says, this is what the Lord is commanding you uh, to give your gold, your silver, your bronze, a thread and oil for the lamps, like all of this stuff. And uh, they respond, the Bible says at least five times in Exodus 35, that they had generous hearts or that their hearts were stirred. And so Moses goes to him and says, this is what we need. You got it. We need it. They start bringing it. And they start bringing it because they realize that Exodus 12, the gold and everything that they had was given to them by God. So they really were just being good stewards over God's resources and giving it back to God. Well, they, they begin to be so generous and overflowing generosity to where Moses gets back up and he says, too much. Y'all are giving so much that we don't even have enough room for it. Stop giving. And that's that's honestly been my prayer for our church during this campaign. I'm asking for us to give a specific amount spread out over 26 months. But I've been praying, Lord, would you help us to knock it out earlier? Why? Because the impact needs to continue in this neighborhood. And I know that God can do it because when I look at Exodus 35, that's exactly what he did in Exodus 35. Second week we got together, we talked about the rich fool in Luke chapter 12 where it's this guy, he's a farmer, and God blesses the land. It's not that he, you know, this farmer, he, wasn't, he didn't have an abundance of produce because he was so skillful at how he scattered seeds. 
the reason he had an abundance and overflow of produce is because the Bible says that God blessed the land to be plentiful. And so there's this idea where this guy is looking around at his produce and he came to the foolish conclusion that instead of being generous and giving some of it away, that he would knock down his small barns to build larger barns. And as he's building these larger barns, he really has one thing in mind, self-indulgence. He said, I'm going to take the produce and I'm going I'm to eat off of it, I'm going to live off it, and I'm going to be merry. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry, which really means I'm going to live a life that's for me, not a life that's generous. And what does Jesus do? He looks at it and he says, fool, tonight your soul is required of you, which means he didn't understand how fickle life was. He's storing up this produce in bigger barns as though he had a long time to live. Jesus snuffs him out in the parable before he can even knock down one barn, showing us how quick life is. And, you know, you might got 75, 80, 90 years at best. You know how short that is compared to eternity? Like the Bible says that life is like a vapor. You spray it in the air. It's like about spraying a, 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 some type of aerosol or you know, some type of mist in the air and you see it for a second, but it's gone in the next second. That's life. That's life when God looks down at us. But yet we think we got a long, you know, a long life. So this guy's like, man, I'm rich. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. And I'm going to knock down these barns. And God is like, nah, you're not going to do that. I'm taking you out tonight. Well, the third week we got together, uh, which was last week, we didn't talk at all about finances. Last week we talked about how spreading love can spread the gospel. Remember, I was ambitious and I said, I'm going to do two full chapters, Acts chapter eight and Acts chapter nine. And in Acts chapter eight and chapter nine, we get to see the spreading of the gospel where, where Jesus says, stay here in Jerusalem, because once the Holy Spirit comes, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Now, what's interesting was they stayed in Jerusalem for seven chapters. Then persecution comes. They spread. Now, Consider how far the gospel began to spread because believers were scattered around the world. You get to see Samaria, Azotus, Caesarea, Africa. All of these different places are being hit and impacted with the gospel because God's people are being salt and light, as Jesus told us to be. And so last week we got to look at how you giving towards the campaign really is a fulfillment of what he was doing in the book of Acts. Some reason we think that the Holy Spirit that was operating in the book of Acts is a different Holy Spirit than op that operates now. But the same Holy Spirit that was hitting up Caesarea is hitting Bed-Stuy. The same Holy Spirit. And so we said, man, don't disconnect what God was doing there. Let's continue the work. Let's continue what he was doing. And this week, we were talking about the tri triumphal entry. You might have heard that term before, and maybe you haven't. The, the a triumphal entry is Jesus sitting on the Mount of Olives, and he's now taking his last trip into Jerusalem. And as he gets into Jerusalem, he won't go back outside of Jerusalem because that is where he will be crucified and die. This is the last time we see Jesus roll into Jerusalem. Why don't you pick me up in verse number one, because what we're going to see about the craziness of generosity is that God is asking us to be generous with normal, everyday stuff. Look at the text with me. Verse one. And when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage uh, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the villages in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. Untie what? Untie the donkey 
and untie the colt. Now, you would think that the king of kings and the Lord of this is Jesus Christ, the creator and sustainer of all life. You would think he would roll into Jerusalem a little bit more swagged out. You would think he would roll into Jerusalem, you know, and upgrade his ride. But look how humble our Lord and Savior is that he does not want to stretch the donkey owner to provide something that he couldn't provide. Like, please understand in this campaign, I'm not asking you, and certainly the Lord is not asking you to give something beyond your means. He's asking you to give exactly what you can give. What what do I mean by that? He did not ask the disciples to go into town, go in the village and find the donkey owner and ask him to build Air Force One so that he could fly into Jerusalem. He does not go and ask him to get a Benz with 24 inch spinners on it so he can roll in bumping into Jerusalem. That's not what Jesus. He didn't even ask him for a horse. Didn't ask him for a camel. He knew that he owned two donkeys. He said, that's what you have. That's what I need. And that is what the Lord is asking us as we're considering this campaign. He's asking you to give exactly what you have. Nothing more and nothing less. And here's the craziness of generosity. The craziness of generosity is is, it can be found in the fact that he asks, like he does not have to ask you for anything. He owns what's in your bank account. He owns everything that you think you own. He is the sustainer of life. Like God is sovereign over all things. So he does not have to ask for the donkey. He could have done two things. He could have went himself and took the donkeys and he would have had right to do it. Why? Because he doesn't just own them. Colossians tells me he created them. Okay, the second thing he could have done was he could have made a donkey and made a colt right on the spot. He could have called the disciples and said, hey, y'all come here. Uh, I got this whole God thing going on. So donkey right here, colt right here. And he could have rolled right into Jerusalem. He did not need them. But he has. And consider how much time he spent. Like he, it's almost like he's wasted time by, by allowing them to be generous. Like, consider this. He has to send them into town, into the village to find the donkey, find the colt, untie them, take the journey back to where he is so that he can, in Bethpage, on the Mount of Olives, ride in. He could have saved more time going, boom, they're right here. But he doesn't. He allows them, which says to me, he doesn't need you and I to give towards this campaign in order to accomplish his mission in this neighborhood. Like, you do know, if God wanted, he owns every building in Brooklyn. He could, if he's sovereign, he's in control, he could give us whatever building he wants to, but he has us go through this process to allow you to participate in what he's doing. Like, he could have said, you know what, I'm going to give you all the Barclays Center. Like, we we would have been a little small section in this 18,000-seater, but whatever. God could have said, I own it, so let me put it on the hearts of those that, you know, the legal fees and all, and the owners, let me put it on their hearts to wake up. And they could wake up and be like, I don't know why I feel like this, but let me deed over the Barclay. And we changed the name from the Nets to the Brooklyn Nets. You know, we got the colors already still in, in scheme. We could, have, we could own the Barclays if God wanted us to. But he allowed, he's asking you to participate in being generous. Like, how gracious is a God like that? That he doesn't take it from you. That he doesn't steal it from you, but he invites you. He says, man, go in and ask them. The fact, like, this is absurd. Like, don't miss how absurd this is. The fact that Jesus comes to people that he made, 
to ask to borrow stuff that he created is crazy. It's absolutely absurd. So he's asking us. He's saying, listen, give towards the work that I am, that I am uh, passionate about. Let me put Bible here. Psalms chapter 24, verse 1. You want to know if God owns everything? Here it is. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and the world's and those who dwell therein. He doesn't just own stuff. He owns you. So this is a God that is absolutely sovereign. He doesn't have to ask, but he does. Go find the donkey and go find the colt. Untie them. Bring them back to me. Now, verse three is comical. Look at verse three. Verse three says this. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. Like, I don't know why growing up this knowing this story, it's always been comical to me because I'm picturing in my mind these disciples going into town and they're starting to untie this donkey and they're starting to untie this colt. And then the owner sees them and he's suspicious and he says, what are you doing? And they say, the Lord needs it. And out of nowhere, the owner's like, okay. <laughs> like, how crazy is that? Like, I would have more questions. I'd be like, who's the Lord? And why does he need it? And when am I getting it back? You would have had to sign a contract that day that I'm going to get it back. With no, You know how we rent a car and they look around the car, make sure no bumps and bruises on it. Like, I would be like that. But for some reason, this owner simply says, okay. Now, why does he do that? We have to understand what is going on in ancient times. In ancient times, that this, that this phrase here, the Lord needs them, would have been sufficient because he is exercising the right of every normal uh, king, any general, any well-known rabbi to get transportation from one village to another literally could have walked up and said, I need to borrow that. The Lord needs it. And what would happen is, he would let you borrow it, and then the owner of that donkey would follow behind you. And then when you get to the town that you wanted, the owner would then take back what was his. Now, you, you got to understand this. What we're seeing happen is not Jesus stealing a donkey. He is not stealing a coat. He's borrowing it. Don't miss this. The owner will get it back. I, I think you're missing it because you're quiet. The owner will get this back, which says to me, whenever you give to God, you always get it back. Like you always get and you get it back in better condition than when you gave it. Like, can you imagine like this is the most famous donkey and colt in town now. The Lord just rode on it and everybody's throwing down palms and they're saying Hosanna to the highest. I'm sure these donkeys are smiling and cheesing. And the owner probably got it back and was like, these things are valuable now. And so understand now, just in case you want to accuse me of being a prosperity preacher and promising you that you're going to financially reap the benefits. Consider with me that you getting it back might not be in monetary gifts. You getting it back might not be financial. You might be, but it might not be nine times out of ten. It's not. Now, when I say you get it back and you get it back upgraded, what if the return on the investment is not financial, but what if it's souls getting saved? Are you okay with the fact that you're giving to something and the return on the investment is dead hearts being made alive? Are you okay with the return on the investment is people professing faith in Jesus Christ and getting baptized and being a part of the body? Is that enough for you to give? I remember when we first started the church and uh, in the beginning it was just my wife and I, we used to walk the streets and pray, 
And one of the things we needed was resources to get the church started. Because, you know, to get, it's like an infant. You know, an infant is 100% dependent on outside help. And so that's what a church plan is like. We have no resources to come together. We have nobody giving towards the church. And so in the very beginning, I had to travel to meet with different churches to cast vision, to tell them about our church so that they can become partners and they could financially invest for a season until y'all come in and y'all start to give. And then we can wean off from outside support and be internally supported. That's how it works. And so I was traveling around and I flew into um, somewhere in the Midwest and I met with a church there. It was their lead pastor, their senior pastor, their executive pastor, and their chief financial uh, uh, operator. And and so I'm sitting there meeting with uh, chief financial office, and I'm sitting there meeting with these these great executives, and I'm talking about them about Bed-Stuy, talking to them about you, and I didn't even know you. I'm talking about what the Lord was going to do, and I'm so excited. And at the end of it, one of the guys, the pastors, raised his hand, and, and he says, well, what do we get out of the deal? And I said, well, here's what you get out of the deal. When we get to Brooklyn, the gospel's going to be preached, people are going to get saved, and that's what you get because you'll never live in Brooklyn. They were like, sign me up. Like, that's a great return on the investment. I'm not looking for it to come back in my bank account. I'm looking for the kingdom to be impacted and people's lives to be impacted. And so here it is. They get it back. In fact, when Mark talks, read this in your, your own devotional time. In Mark 11, verse 3, he tells the same story. In Mark's account of the story, he says it this way. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say the Lord needs it and will send it back immediately. So you always get it back. Don't think that you're giving to something that you won't get back. You'll get it back, but it might not be packaged the way that you think it would be packaged. Look at verse four. And this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foil of a beast of burden. Again, he's talk, this is, he's quoting Zechariah 9.9. Here, here's what's interesting. Jesus is fulfilling right now the Old Testament. He's uh, fulfilling a prophecy that was given, listen to me, 500 B.C. In 500 B.C., when this prophecy went forth, God thought in his mind, there's a city that's going to be stirred up. But who would have known that a part of that story was just a donkey owner that was generous? Who would have known that the generosity of this one man would write him into the story of God? Like he's, and I'm always baffled at that. You know, we didn't need to get verses one through six. Like we needed to know that Jesus rode in on a donkey because he's fulfilling Zechariah 9.9. We don't need to know how he got it. All you need to know is that he rode on in and fulfilled scripture. But God, you know, being generous, wrote him into the scriptures. You don't know his name. Same thing with the widow with the two copper coins. We don't know her name. We know her condition. She's a widow. We know that she was poor because she gave all she had and all she had was two copper coins. But she got written into scripture because of generosity. Generosity writes you in. Being stingy writes you out. It's just that simple. Think about the the, the, the boy with with the fish and the five loaves. He was written into the story because he was generous. Or what about Joseph, the one who owned the tomb and after Jesus died, He loans, he gives his tomb, rich man, gives his tomb over to Jesus. Like you're talking the story of the crucifixion, that our Savior dies for our sin. And in that story is written a man that was generous 
and got written right in the story. And this is what I know about the Spread Love campaign. You may not get written into Scripture because Scripture is complete, but you can get written into the story of God by being generous. Because here we have a prophecy 500 years ago is being fulfilled, not just through Jesus, but Jesus says, let me tell you about this guy who owns a donkey and he owns a colt. And now you might be saying, well, he fulfilled Zechariah 9.9. My giving, what does it fulfill? I told you last week, Acts 1.8 is what you're fulfilling. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth have not been reached by the gospel. So your giving helps to fulfill the ends of the earth hearing the gospel message of Christ. Go get the donkey. Now, does he give it? Does he give the donkey and colt? Because up to this point, we don't know. We know what God, we know what Christ asked for. We know the disciples were obedient. But here's my question. Was the donker, donkey owner, donker, donkey <laughs> owner, was he obedient to give of his resources? Look at the scripture with me. Verse six. Y'all good? Yeah. Verse six. The disciple went and did as Jesus had directed them. Here it is. They brought the donkey and the colt and put them, put on them their cloaks and he sat on them. So basically, Jesus asked for a donkey and a colt. By the way, you know, whenever we see the Christmas story, we only see the Christmas story with Jesus riding in on a donkey. I just read that it was a donkey and a colt. Now, Jesus asked for both. Me, the way my heart is, I'm going to be like, I'm going to try to cut corners. God, you getting the donkey, but you ain't getting the colt. Are you going to get the colt, but you're not getting the donkey? Look how oh, he's not just generous. He's obedient. He gives exactly what God is asking for. Christ asked for both. He gives both. Now, why am I saying that to you? Because some of you throughout this, can't, throughout this sermon series, and we're talking about being generous, and you have in your mind, I'm going to be generous. This is the time of my life. I'm going to be generous towards this campaign. And you have an amount in your mind, but the question is, the amount that you're giving or the amount that you're being generous with, are you just giving the donkey? Are you giving half of what God is asking you to give? I consider that. And I'm not saying this to make to, to push up. I believe God is going to give us the money that we need regardless. I'm saying this to you to say, be obedient to what God is asking you to do. When I sat at the table with my wife and we talked about what we were going to give, it was hurting us. She doesn't work. I ain't rich. I, I'm just not. And so we were like looking at sacrificial ways that, and different things we could do and cut off and try to figure out how we can be sacrificial. Why? Because I feel like God has called me to be generous. Am I going to get, just give the donkey or am I going to give both? Now, watch what happens when he gives it. Watch how far something as simple as a donkey and a colt can go. Look at what the Bible says. Verse number eight. Verse number nine. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered into Jerusalem, I love this, the whole city was stirred up. Like, who would have known that a donkey owner would have set off a tidal wave in an entire city? Like, who, who would have ever thought this? Jesus literally rides into a city on the back of generosity. Now, consider with me, every week you come in here and we're like, we exist to join Jesus and his mission to redeem our city. What if the redemption of the city was tied up in your bank account? What if the redemption of the city was tied up in your 401k plan? What if the like what if God was like, I'm going to redeem the city, but I need to ride into the city off the generosity of my people. 
This donkey owner literally set the whole city on fire by simply giving just a donkey and just a colt. Like in your mind, some of you might be thinking, man, I can't contribute to this campaign because I'm giving peanuts. Like that's a big amount. But the whatever you have, all he had was a donkey and a colt. And that is what God used. And he rode in on the backs of generosity. Now, the, the way my grandmother taught me growing up, she always said, use your sanctified imagination. I don't know if you ever heard that term before. She, she basically was saying, man think, man, think of what else is happening. I can't help but think, what are the donkeys saying to each other? Don't act like donkeys. Look at Numbers 22. Balaam's donkey talks. Look at Shrek. Shrek's donkey talks. You can't tell me that the donkeys here ain't talking to each other. Now, I'm wondering as they're riding in, I wonder if they're saying, man, I know we're donkeys, but the Lamb of God is riding on our back. Like, I wonder if they're saying that to each other, because this story is not about the donkeys. This story is not even about the generosity of the donkey owner. This story is about who's on them donkeys. Christ, our King, our Lord and Savior, Hosanna to the Son of David, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. God in the flesh is on the donkeys. Now, Before we get beside ourselves and think that the most generous person in the text was the donkey owners, don't get it twisted. The most generous person in the text is not the donkey owners, but Christ. Because why is he riding into Jerusalem? He's riding into Jerusalem to give his life for dysfunctional people like us. He's riding into Jerusalem so that he can take our sin, absorb it on the cross so that you can stand before God and be counted as spotless and holy. And God can look at you and say, well done, although you know you didn't do a good job. You know you didn't walk this earth spotless. You know you didn't walk this earth perfect. But yet you'll be deemed as that because when God looks at you, he sees the blood of his son smeared all over your life. And that's the only way to be accepted by God. Like you will not stand before God, pull out that list of morality and good deeds and say, man, I did this good. I did this. good." Did you see me this day? I woke up at five o'clock and prayed. I fasted. You'll be crushed if that list is what you pull out. I'm not pulling out no list. I'm pointing to Jesus and be like, he secured the right for me to be here. Because when God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of his son, which in reverse, when he looked at his son, he saw your sin. When he looked at his son, he saw our dysfunction. And what did he do? The Bible said it pleased the father to crush the son. He was pleased to crush the son because he knew it crushed the beef that was between us and a holy God. That is why Jesus is riding into Jerusalem. He's riding into Jerusalem knowing that he's about to accomplish in six hours what it would have taken you eternity in hell to accomplish. You would have never been able to satisfy the wrath of God. Christ is dope. He does it in six hours. And that is why he's writing. The great, the MVP of this story is not the donkey owner, although we spent most of our time talking about him. The MVP of this passage is the one that's on the donkey, the Lamb of God, the one that takes away the sins of the world. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Listen, I know some generous people, y'all. I, I just do. I, I, and you do, too. Some of y'all read about generous people. Bill Gates, he's not just rich and wealthy. He gives his wealth. And when I think about generosity and I think about the most generous people, man, they pale in comparison to what Christ gave to us. Christ didn't, like the donkey owner 
gave two donkeys. Christ gave his life. That's the motivation. That's the motivation for us to be generous. Not just financially, but some of you just need to be more generous with time. You need to be more generous with your giftings. You run harder at work than you do for the kingdom. You kill it at work, and you come here and give us half you, tired you. But you give the, you give the world the best part of you, the greatest part of your mind and your time and your strength. My prayer is, Lord, help us to prioritize you over everything. Father, I pray for everybody in this room. Lord, as we talk about generosity, our hearts aren't prone to being generous. They're not. Our hearts aren't prone to giving. Our hearts really are prone to withholding and robbing you of what really is yours. So I ain't preaching that we're going to be cursed. I'm not preaching that you're going to walk out of here and we're going to get sick because we don't give. I'm not preaching none of that bullshit. I'm preaching that God gave, Christ gave, and we should give. That's my prayer. That's my hope. Lord, as we continue to pile on and, and try to make good traction with this campaign that I just 100% believe you've called us towards. As we do that, Lord, I pray that you would encourage our hearts. Stretch us. Push us out of our comfort zones. Some of us, Lord, are just too comfortable. We, we don't, we don't we, you know, that, that scripture that says our daily bread, we don't really need our daily bread. Because we think that we got it all on our own. Lord, would you put us in a place where we are needy and dependent on you? Let us be God needy. And we do that by being generous. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.